Hey, everybody. It is the lawyer's daughter. It's me, Jen. I'm back for a special edition because, ta-da, it's the five-year anniversary of D'Angelo's arrest. I would have missed this, but I, I, but thanks to Sam Stanton at Sacramento Bee, I didn't, I didn't miss it. I'm um, fully aware that it's been five years now. And um, I want to tell you first, this podcast I do in two uh, modalities. I have the listen only, which is fine. You can listen to this, but I do have some pictures if you're interested. I'm going to post to YouTube as well. Both of those will be in as the lawyer's daughter. That's the YouTube channel and it's the podcast name. So you can get them at both places, but I don't think if you're not, if you're not looking at this, it's okay. I will do my best to describe to you. And what you're missing right now is confetti and a slide that says five years, because that's what's significant. And like I said, I would have missed this if it weren't for Sam Stanton at the Sacramento Bee, who called about two weeks ago saying he was going to do an article and he wanted to talk to me. And he was going to take a look back. And he's, he, he really committed and said he was very committed to looking at this from those of us who survived this case point of view, including uh, the two of the lawyers that worked on the case. And he did a fantastic job in the article. There is There are two things that he created. One is the article itself, which is in the Sacramento Bee, the April 23rd edition. There's usually a paywall, but you also, I think, get one or two free. So you should be able to see it if you search for my name, Chris Pedretti's name, Sam Stanton, D'Angelo's name, no doubt. Um, you should be able to find that article. The other thing I want to point out to you, because it was really well done, and if you had seen how it was how it was done with an iPhone, there's a great video that he and his photographer put together, which, um, and I say photographer, and I've got to memorize this gentleman's name because this man has won Emmys and Pulitzer Prizes. This is this is not a photographer. I'm I'm somewhat gobsmacked that I had this man in my home. And worse yet, he went into my really messy backyard and took a picture of me that came out amazing. Um, but this team, they put together this video and it is worth watching. It, it's it's well done and it tells it, it, it's more personal. Um, and so if you want to watch that video, it's about 13 and a half minutes long. So grab a cup of something and settle in and watch the video. But I think it's really well done and worth seeing. Anyway, um, Sam, good old Sam, really kind of knocked me in the noggin with this call. I hadn't realized five years was coming. I don't, I hadn't thought about it. I have to tell you, I, I don't think about D'Angelo very often. He's just not top of mind for me. But um, but in taking, taking inventory of the five years, you know, that's anniversaries are important because they, they make you take stock. You, you become reflective. You think about what's been going on. And I realized, you know, enough is enough. Um, to give you the story and the juxtaposition, and Chris and I, and, and everybody has great stories. I just happen to know Chris really well. And she and I, for some reason, were put on this planet together because we are uh, sisters, but kindred spirits. You know, we, we my, my yin to her yang, that kind of thing. Like, we just have a nice ebb and flow between us. And I love the compare and contrast. And this one is fairly significant because if you think of my Chris, uh, a rape victim at 15, I think she was, a church girl very good girl. She was practicing the piano when D'Angelo snuck up behind her. This poor little thing. So she was told by her family to never discuss it again. In fact, it was so verboten in her family that at times she even wondered if it had really happened. Her sister had to live by the same gag order. And sometimes I just feel for Robin because not only did the crime not happen to her, but she was a victim of it 
in just the same way in that it couldn't, they were not allowed to, to even discuss that it happened. They weren't allowed to cope with it, to heal from it, to go to counseling. None of that stuff happened for these two young women. So anyway, when D'Angelo was arrested, Chris's life uh, changed significantly because finally it was somehow kind of real. I mean, it was really real. And she had the courage to step into that light. And I'm going to call it light. You don't really know if it's going to be light when you step into it. But she stepped into the light. And she has had this trajectory since of becoming a public speaker. <laughs> Take that, all you people afraid of public speaking. When you feel passionate about something, it's amazing how easy public speaking can become. You just have to get past the initial fear. But my Chris is out there talking. She's talking to law enforcement. Um, crisis counselors, all kinds of people who want to understand how to deal with trauma. And I'll, and I'll tell you, I think what she's really telling them is, is how to listen. And this is one of my soapboxes, right? I, I, you know, I'm a communicator, right? Master's degree in communications. This is my thing. I care about communication so much. And what I've really learned in the course of this whole journey is that trauma survivors really need people who will listen. And that doesn't mean telling them what they think. That doesn't mean offering solutions or patting them on the back and saying, okay, feel better now? No, none of that. Because for a trauma survivor, sharing isn't going to necessarily come all at once. It's going to be messy with like boogers and tears and all kinds of things happening. And it may come out in bits and pieces and not be a whole story. So you're not going to be satisfied in that regard either. What listening really does is give them the space to just start to say it, start to tell their story. And whatever you do, making that space is everything. The other thing that's really important, because I think a lot of people forget this, if you feel really like you don't know what to do, please ask the person who's the survivor. They can tell you, you know what, just you sitting here with me right now while I try to remember it and put this together and deal with the shame and the humiliation and the embarrassment and the details that are too disgusting to share with you. Just me struggling with that, with you, with me, is a huge gift. And that's what I think a lot of listeners forget. It's just you being there. But sometimes they may have something very specific, which is hold me accountable, make me not hide, take me out at night because I'm afraid to go back out. There may be a whole list of what that survivor needs or help me talk to my mom or help me practice talking to someone I love who doesn't listen very well, who doesn't have the skills you have. Help me practice that so I know how to stand up for myself, so I know how to ask for what I need. Um, also, I'm going to just tell anybody as a trauma survivor who has a story to tell, you can ask the person you're talking to to react in a way you want them to react before you start sharing. I actually had to train my mom on this. I would, I, I don't have to do it so much anymore because God love my life. She's learned, but I used to have to say, mom, I'm going to tell you something. And all I need you to say at the end is, wow, you are really strong. And I can't believe you got through that. That's all I needed her to say. And I'll be damned if she didn't say that at the end. And it was everything. So two things, trauma survivor, you can ask her what you want before you talk. So you can just be clear. Here's what I need from you before you talk. And listeners, trauma listeners, if you're unsure, say, what can I do that will support you right now? 
or even support you next week or in a month or whatever that is. But don't be afraid to have a conversation about how your relationship works. So that, that brings me back to Chris, because what Chris did is she started a Facebook group called It's Time to Tell Your Story, because she sat on hers for 40 years. She sat on hers so well, she didn't know for sure if it really happened. Just breathe that in. That's, that is some mind bending there. So in this private Facebook group, and you can find a link on the Lawyer's Daughter Facebook page. Um, I, if you hit me up on Twitter, and I love all of you guys on Twitter, um, it, but you can hit me up on Twitter, whatever it is, I'll get you to that group. There's a little um, little screening that goes on because we want to make sure that we honor those people in the group. So you'll be asked for some um, some information before you can join. It's very respectful group. It is there for support. It is not there for people who are trying to um, be nosy. It's not for nosy Nellies. This is a group that's got real people who have been through real trauma and are looking from support from one another. So Chris started her group. She's public speaking. She has risen like a phoenix. In the five years since the rest, I have been circling that drain. Holy smokes, has it been an ugly five years. I have been cash broke because I got fired about a week after D'Angelo was arrested. And my boss really didn't like that suddenly I had all this outside activity going on. And he was brutal and did a layoff of one, which is the code for fired. And I went into basically a free fall. Of course, COVID hit. I sheltered in place with my daughter in Sacramento, but I still never quite got my groove back as, a, as one might say. So I, I have been like a fish flopping on the deck of the Jennifer Carroll Titanic for the last five years. And I feel like just now in 2023, I'm just now pulling my head out of my you-know-what. It has been difficult. It, it's, I've, I've got both uh, medications that are legal and medications that were legalized in California, but uh, none of those anymore. I'm not, I'm not I, I just have one little Lexapro friend and that's my buddy. Um, but I have had to just claw my way back out of that chasm that we fall into when we really get down. And of course, you know, if I, you hear me on coaching, and I full well know this, once you're down in that chasm, it's really hard to see opportunity because your view is limited. You're, you're looking at the walls of the chasm on both sides of you. And you have such a narrow point of view. So I'm finally up. I have a great gig with uh, AT&T Cybersecurity, which I'm loving right now. I hope it's hope it stays because it's fun and it's good. And I'm finally getting back out into the world. I'm COVID paranoid because I'm caretaker for my mom and she is immunosuppressed. So I'm COVID paranoid, but that doesn't mean I can't go out. I can't go out and enjoy myself. I just wear a mask. No big deal. So there's been a lot that has happened in five years, but I really credit Sam for reaching out to me and then writing a great article. And when you, I think it's gated, but I think you can have one or two views free at the Sacramento Bee. And I want to point out there's two parts to this thing. One is the story that he wrote, but the other is a video that these that he and his photographer, who is an Emmy-winning, Pulitzer Prize-winning photographer, um, who had no business being in my home. Now I know his credentials. I'm like, oh my God, you're in my junky old house in my even junkier backyard. Wait till you see the picture he took. I'm like, how did you make this look good? My yard is a disaster. Uh, talk about deferred maintenance, not just me, the whole house. Anyway, they came in and they wrote, they did this video, which is about 13 minutes long. So make sure you grab a cup of something to drink. They did this amazing video, which is, I think, um, 
remarkable. And this is, they did it with iPhones. Can you believe it? iPhones. Anyway, it's a great video and it's really worth a look if you are interested in the case. So it, it, if you're listening to me, you're, you're interested in the case pretty much. But, um, but I, I want to point it out because it's just incredibly well done. And I'm, I'm very proud to be part of it. And I'm really thrilled that Sam reached out and did this because it's important to focus on the survivors. And that was something he talked about when he was down here, he came down to the house and, and did the video interviewing. And he, um, he really said he was really focused on the survivors and wanted to tell their story. And, and that's the part that I think is the goodness in all of this, right? We've all been to hell and back. Every human has something that has just brought them to the edge. It's, it, if it hasn't happened yet, I'm sorry, but it will happen because it's just how we work as humans. There's just things that surprise us and, and change our lives. But he was really focused on and how how we've moved forward in that five years. So I didn't necessarily move forward. I mean, yeah, time passed, but I didn't move forward like I had planned. Boy, I sure lost my momentum and my everything. I just lost everything. I mean, at times I was incredibly ambiguous about why I was still alive. Let's face it happens to everybody. And I'm like, this is, you know, what the hell, what am I still here for? What's, what's, what is this about? I've done my job. I got us through the trial. That was, I felt like I made a contribution and, but now I feel much better. I'm feeling much better. And I would like to thank everybody who is friends with me on Twitter or visits me on Facebook. Uh, Twitter friends, I laugh all the time because, you know, I know you and I can't believe you've been with, been, been hanging out with me for five years. But if you ever meet me in person, you're going to have to tell me your moniker because I only know you by the name I see all the time on Twitter. And so um, it's kind of hilarious, but you're going to have to come up to me and say whatever that moniker is and tell me that's who you are. You might have to remind me a little bit, uh, give me a, an event too, because I tend to um, visualize you and I can see you in, in whatever stories you've told. That's how I see you. So um, there may be some memorable events where I remember, oh, I remember you went through that surgery or, oh my God, your mom died. That was so awful. I'm so sorry. Uh, whatever those things are, um, your dog is amazing. Like I, I feel like I know, know you and I, I just adore you. And thank you for putting up for all my crazy on Twitter, but um, it's a good crowd. And if you aren't part of the Twitter crowd, come join us because it's a bunch of true crime um, folks who have a good time, who really fight for justice and fight for human rights. And, uh, you know, I just, the best of humanity is my Twitter. That's the best. I know Twitter's a hot mess, but the best of humanity is on my Twitter. And I always brag about it. It's like, I don't know how I curated it, but I have like the best people and I get to see the best people and it's awesome and they get it and it's great. So anyway, okay, thank you. That's Twitter. It's at, I think I'm Jay Carroll over there. You can't not find me. It's, I should be visible. You can always find me through my website too. So, okay. So you're either watching this on YouTube or you're listening to this on the podcast. And I'm going to take you through just a little bit of what's going on at the five-year mark. Um, it's, it's been an interesting year in California. And because of that, we have had, and let's see if I can do this. I'm going to see if I can make this slide show work. Um, we have had since, D'Angelo, and I'm showing now that photograph from court where he is in his wheelchair. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm sitting in Diane Howard's paperwork on the screen. Um, he is sitting in the wheelchair. He looks dense. It is probably the second day because I can see some of my friends in the audience. And he looks, he looks stupid, but he always looks stupid. You know how he always had that hangdog look? 
where his jowls came down and his mouth's always open because, of course, he's a mouth breather. Of course he is. And he just looks like he's a big dolt. But the part that, of course, always burns me up. And should I ever meet her at the Arden Fair Mall in Sacramento, I will tell her to her face, is Diane Howard's look at him like he's something special or important or worthy. It, the, the officers look less interested in him, but she has that mothering look. And you know what it is because y'all saw it on the videos every time when we were in court. It's that way she kind of touched him and catered to him and tuned into him. That's the photograph. And the reason is up here is that it's so funny because if you look at the next photograph, I think I have the next photograph here. Oh, no, I have it. It'll come up at the end. Um, he is, he, when he was convicted, he, of course, was sent to Corcoran Prison. Now, what's interesting, and Corcoran Prison is what I'm showing on screen right now. You can Google this and see this image on Google. Corcoran Prison is one of our, mm, let's just say it, shittier prisons. Shittier in that it's run down. It's in Corcoran. And, and mad respect to everybody that lives in Corcoran because you live there because you're probably supporting this prison industry infrastructure. Um, and But Corcoran is in Central California, but almost Southern California. So there's a range of mountains that separate Northern and Southern California. It's, it's in Kern County. Um, it's the uh, Tehachapi Mountains, I believe is what it's called. And there were always the big mountains. When we would come to Sacramento, we always go through the mountains. And my brothers would always sit in the back seat, pulling the handle to get the trucks to honk. You know, that's it's because the trucks move slow over the hill. It's a big mountain that you have to go through. Um, and it's called the Grapevine, if you hear people talk about that. It's kind of near uh, Magic Mountain, but that's on the southern side. On the northern side is Bakersfield. And just the left of Bakersfield, if you're heading north, is Cochrane. And you, you wouldn't even know it was there, probably, if it weren't for the prison. The prison is known for being run down. It's known for being miserable. I had a friend who did a small stint there, and then he got transferred to Folsom, which was preferable. It's state-run. And um, from everything I've read about it, it's really run down. It just, I feel bad for people working there. And actually, there's a number of prisoners there who are doing their time who haven't done anything like the Anschluss, drug charges, um, nonviolent offenders. It, it is considered one of the high security prisons. So somehow you got in enough trouble to get there. But there's also a drug treatment program where they get offenders who also have uh, drug issues. They're, they're there too in a different section from what I understand trying to learn a little bit about this, but what is super interesting, and Sam's the one that told me this, is that D'Angelo is no longer confirmable. Word. You can no longer confirm that D'Angelo is at Corcoran. I don't know why. Sam said it's because of security. I, I am sure if I called uh, the district attorney's office in Sacramento, I could get an answer. I don't really care. Although, I just have like a secret fantasy because one of the things that's been happening in California this last year is we have had a phenomenal amount of rain. I mean, an unbelievable amount of rain for California. All we typically do is complain that we don't get any rain. And so this rain, we are, there's some ridiculous amount. I'm going to make up a number, but it was something like 293% of the snowpack. We are that much. So that's one, two, almost three times more snowpack than we've ever had. And one of the phenomenon that is happening in the slide I have up right now, but you can Google this too, is that a formerly, formerly known as a lake bed, 
the Tulare Lake is filling up and it's not even begun to fill up because that snowpack has only 10% of it has melted at this point. It is April 24th and only 10% of the snowpack has started to melt. And it hasn't really gotten warm, warm here yet. I think we're starting to get a little bit of high temperatures. I think Sacramento was supposed to maybe hit 80 this week. We haven't really gotten warm yet. So this lake is right there near Corcoran. And I feel super bad for the citizens of Corcoran and for the people who have investments in farmland and stuff because their stuff is, their land is going underwater. It is filling up. But the secret fantasy I have, because the prison is included in the lake bed, is that Joe D'Angelo will have to just tread water. Now, of course, you know, I want nothing like that because there's other prisoners there who don't deserve this sort of abuse. And there is a lot of good people who are losing things that matter a lot to them. And from what I've read, they're desperately trying to build a levy around the prison, which is ironic that we couldn't spend the money to make the prison any better. But suddenly we have money for a, a levy. Don't get me stuck on it. started on politics and infrastructure and priorities. These things make me crazy. But they're trying desperately to build a levy around the prison. Prisoner advocates are advocating for moving the prisoners because, let's face it, that's probably much more efficient than building a levy around the prison. But being there, this, this area of California is otherwise normally dry, hot, and miserable. Almost always. It's just this part of the valley in California is just super hot and dry. And so um, it's it's not lost on me that the idea that this prison is could be submerged by water it's it's and it's real and it's going to be happening fast. That's why I think this levy is eh, kind of a crapshoot because this this water. I mean, frankly, build the levy around the town. Let's prioritize here. This town needs to be saved. Although if they move the prison, I'm sure we're going to lose a lot of jobs. So it is it is an unexpected conundrum and it's interesting that it involves those of us who are actually watching this part of America because we're weird, I guess is why we're watching it. We're, we care about what happens to D'Angelo or we care about what happens around D'Angelo is probably a better way to say it. Okay. So I just want to let you know that because sometimes I tweet about this and I did tweet about the idea of him treading water, which is um, oddly delightful. Um, I, I, I did actually, here's a, I pull up a pull quote, but the, 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 oh, I love how this is written. The crisis are set to come to a head in the coming weeks in Corcoran, where the refilling of Tulare Lake has created an imminent danger of flooding at the two already crumbling, this is from the, the reporter, already crumbling and overpopulated state prisons. This spring's slow-moving flooding disaster, and I'm going to, you know, slow-moving is interesting because I think slow just means weeks and months not overnight, but it's still a flooding disaster is projected to hit the prison and the substance abuse treatment facility. And that's what that really bums me out because we all want people to get help for their substance abuse. It's a total of 8,138 people who, according to the article, are caged. That's air quotes because they say caging a total of 8,138 people. That's a lot of people. A lot of big bet on the levy there. Um, when the snowpack melts, and now change slides, and what you will now see is the slide I knew was coming, which is JoJo at sentencing where he stood up and apologized to all of us. And probably the best part of this picture is that these two officers behind him, 
literally seemed to know where the camera was and our cutting eyes at the camera, which is pretty funny. Um, but when Jojo stood up, you know, with his weak self, and this is another reason to watch Sam, Sam Stanton's video, is that Tin Ho talks about Angelo and what they were seeing in the district attorney's office the whole time. We couldn't see him in the county jail, but they could see him and how it disgusted him, the act that this man, uh, D'Angelo, put on in court. So this is Jojo at the end when he's, of course, lost his weight and still tries to act frail. But the fact of the matter is, we all know he was pretty perky. The article goes on to say, when the snowpack melts and the Tulare Lake Basin begins to fill at a faster rate, one of the biggest concerns for incarcerated people is how the evacuations will work for those in wheelchairs, walkers, and with other mobility restrictions. Because <laughs> we know. Joe has none of those disabilities, despite showing up in court in a wheelchair, you performative jerk. Um, people with disabilities who are housed on the first floor of the uh, substance abuse wing, um, because it's easier for mobility, puts them at risk for, in the event flooding. On the whole, so on the whole, almost 20% of California's incarcerated population is over 55. And these people are likely to have disabilities and suffer from chronic conditions. Almost 20% of our population is over 55. Now, this is a, a little bit of a segue because I wanted to talk about something else that's come up, and that's a, a law in California. And I think I want to allay fears that this could ultimately result in JoJo's release. So let me see if I put that up next. Ah, yes, I have. Right now, I have the California Golden Poppies because this is my segue to talk about what else is happening, which is a law, and you know me, I love the law. Um, there is a law that has been introduced aimed at reforming sentences, sentencing enhancements. So there, the one that I'm going to talk about specifically has to do with people who have life without parole. But in general, I'm, I have to say, because I do believe in that there's a place for prison reform, that there's an opportunity now to look at people who are jailed for things that are not property, that are uh, not violent crimes and not serious property offenses, things like dealing drugs, which I just think we could deal with in some other ways. I, I still believe in, I just think there's a lot we could do to change sentencing so that, that people are actually paying back society instead of costing us money. Every time we jail someone, ka-ching, that's our tax dollars going to something that personally irritates me if they aren't a violent criminal. We're just paying money to house people. And we know their housing is miserable. After getting to after getting to know my friend who was paroled, she did 35 years, to find out some of the ways that they are dehumanized and to watch him struggle on reentry because of this dehumanization. I mean, put it, he, he spent 35 years in there. So he comes out at, uh, I think he was 56 when he came out, 56 years old. And he's lived his whole life hypervigilant. So any of us trauma survivors know what that's like. He's been hypervigilant his whole life because that's what prison does to you. And then he, of course, doesn't know anything about technology and everything that changed. He doesn't know how much our society changed. And if you want to think about that, just go back. I mean, there's a lot of jokes on the Internet now about, you know, when that landline used to ring and we'd all run for the phone versus now when we look at the spam call and we throw our phone down because we're sick of it. I mean, that so much has changed. I forget there was one that's just how he was paying bills. You couldn't believe you don't write a check and just mail it in. It's like, no, you just make the payment online. He's like, but how do I, how do I know they aren't taking all my money? I mean, he had really good questions that we've all, we have all learned because we just evolved with the changes. 
but you come out after being in, incarcerated for a long time. It's not a, it's not an easy transition at all, both psychologically and internally and spiritually, but also just pragmatically as they rejoin the world. So I think there's a lot to be said for reforming sentencing. But let's let's get into the bill that actually has folks worried about D'Angelo. Um, Dave Cortese has a, a Senate Bill 300. This is a California legislature issue. So we've been talking a lot in the news about our own state governments versus the federal government. So federal government makes laws that go across the nation. State governments make laws that have to do with state. And they can vary based on what state you live in. It's important for how you make choices, where you send your kids to college, all kinds of things, because every state has a different set of laws. Well, in California, San Jose-based Jose -based Senator Dave Cortese has proposed Senate Bill 300, which would grant people convicted of felony murder, okay, it is convicted of felony murder, with special circumstances, the right to have their life without parole, or as people in the business call it, LWAP, life without parole, parole sentences reevaluated by a judge. And this is really, really important because it has a lot to do with murder charges that were um, related to a crime that accidentally or unintentionally, not accidentally, you commit a crime, it's not an accident, but unintentionally ended in murder. So specifically, if we drill down into this a little bit more, the bill, and this is where people might be misunderstanding what it's intended to do, because it will not let out someone like a D'Angelo. It first came up as a, it, it's been broadly talked about relative to age. Age is a factor in how he's looking at this because he's trying to make sure that people who are basically too old to commit more crimes are reevaluated for release. And of course, D'Angelo would be seen as being um, potentially tooled to commit more crimes. I don't think that's true. I think he could still commit crimes. This guy, I don't know that he ever stopped, but that's, you know, we can debate that. That's, that's like a Reddit discussion, right? We'll have that over there. But this bill, the Senate bill, is, is aimed at repealing a provision in current law requiring punishment by death or imprisonment as a life without parole for a person of convicted of murder in the first degree who was not the actual killer. This is really important. So typically if you're part of a crime and the murder's committed, y'all go down for the same crime. By the way, this is like life with teenagers. It's the worst because once you're seen as being part of a group that's done a bad thing, even if your kid sat in the car, but he got picked up or she got picked up, he or she is responsible for the same crime. You're going to have to find a really, really sweet, kind, listening district attorney to not perceive that as they're all going down together. That's generally how law enforcement looks at this stuff. So this bill is looking at the person who was with the person who did the murder, who was also convicted of murder because all for one and one for all. In this case, the second the, the person who didn't commit the murder was perceived as acting with reckless indifference for a human life as a major participant. So there's what all he's trying to do is create space for, yes, it happened, but I didn't pull the trigger and I didn't even know he or she was going to pull the trigger. It's creating space for potentially having leniency for that kind of convicted criminal. I'm not going to give, you know, my opinion. I'm freaking liberal, right? I, I always see the goodness in people. And I always 
believe in redemption. And I know some people aren't redeemable. My God, I get it. I, I like, I take my rose colored glasses off every once in a while and look at the real world, but, but leave me alone in my bubble. I like to believe if we can save a few, if we can give grace to a few who are worthy of being given grace and it can change their lives. I'm down for that. You may have a different opinion and so be it. I still support you because we all come at this with a different opinion. In fact, that's usually how we make things better is that the differing opinions come together and figure out that middle ground. So that's the scoop on Senate Bill 300. You can look at it in California legislature. You can look up the bill, get, learn more about it. But I wanted to bring it to your attention because it's something that um, people are talking about and it's, it's an important thing to look at. So here we are. Finally, we are back in this great big world where um, I, what is on the screen now is just a beautiful California oak. One of my favorite pictures because it's just, it's just how, well, on a good day, this is California. Blue skies, especially here on the coast, green leaves, the sun shining through, and it's a great place to be. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to do a podcast maybe once a month just for a little while because I realize there's some big laws coming through. There's actually um, some stuff going on in Riverside County I want to talk about. And I want to just challenge everybody to um, take a look at these laws, get involved, think about where, where you are. You know, we're, we're trying to reimagine what's happening in law and order, not the show, but, you know, the concepts of law enforcement, uh, prison reform, sentencing, you know, our case did something different. And I'm going to talk about that next time. Our case did something remarkably different. And I can imagine that there's a place and a space for that happening in more circumstances as we continue to evolve as a culture and as humans. Um, I don't think the world is always black and white. Actually, I, I kind of live all in that, all up in that gray space. That's that's where I hang out. And you know, we talk about situational ethics, but I really consider it coping and negotiating and figuring out what's going to work for the greatest good as we move through this. So I'm so happy to be back with you. Um, happy fifth anniversary day. That's a weird happy. Happy April 24th. And I can't wait to hear from you ping me on Twitter, reach out on the uh, Lawyer's Daughter Facebook page, and I look forward to talking to you more soon. Bye-bye, everybody. Venture Highway.